Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Well, we've seen a lot of collectives that have popped up across the Pac-12 Conference and other places in college football. Oregon's got Division Street. Uh, UCLA has the Bruin Fan Alliance. Washington State has the Cougar Collective, among others. Arizona State is in the game now. The Sun Angel Collective. Jeffrey Berg is the president of it, and he's joining us now. Is it really the Sun Angel Collective? Is that right? That is the name of the collective. I love it. Uh, give me an idea. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. First of all, give me an idea on uh, you know sort of the genesis of this and and uh, how it all started. Absolutely. There were about five of us who were on the Sun Devil Club board. That is the athletic department board at ASU uh, in various leadership capacities. But the five of us got together. We recognized that something needed to be done in the NIL space. Is um, certainly you would agree. And we just tried to figure out how to make it happen. Um, so we had some meetings. We talked about different structures, uh, what would be the best way to engage uh, ASU's large alumni base. And we just started putting ideas together. This happened, we started, first met probably towards the end of uh, last year. So it's been, you know, eight months in the making. And uh, we're, here we are. Give me an idea of how hard it is to set one of these up. Because I think there's a lot of confusion in the public and maybe in the media as to how these things get set up, what's the process of that? Sure. A lot of that is going to be the great answer, it depends. Um, and what it's going to depend on is if you've got one donor who's deciding that they're going to fund it with all their own cash, they don't necessarily care about the tax impacts of any of that. And if that's the case, it's pretty easy, right? Open a, uh, you know, start an entity, open a bank account, put the money in there, and uh, start putting deals together. That's, that's it. However, if you want to do something perhaps a little bit more complex, uh, especially if you want to try to set up a collective that's going to have members, uh, where those members are contributing on a regular basis, uh, those members may want to uh, feel connected to the program in some way, uh, that's where it becomes a, a lot more work, right? The schools can't participate in the collective process um, in really any meaningful way. They certainly can offer uh, support in, in some ways. Um, ASU has been a has been a great partner uh, with us lately in um, in doing what they can within the within the rules, but you know if you want to set one up like we are, that's going to be a five hundred one c three public charity so that our donors can uh, take a deduction for the contributions. The amount of legwork that goes into that uh, is, is is pretty enormous. All right, so people who want to give and you have a, a massive donor base. They can, make, they can make donations that are tax-deductible that go into this? So that's our intent. I want to be yeah. really clear that um, we are applying to the IRS for that 501c3 status. Uh, we have seen other schools do this and receive respons favorable responses um, from the IRS. So we feel good about the chances that it will be approved, but obviously uh, there's lots of examiners at the IRS. It's, it's possible that it, it could not work out. But right now we're working under the assumption that this will be successful. 
Give me an idea, because as you look around, how much rubbernecking goes on? And do you start looking at what Oregon's doing, Washington State's doing? Um, is there a blueprint for this out there, or do you kind of have to explore a little bit before you set it up? You know, you, you said talked a little bit about it in, in the in the intro to this segment. Um, you know, with groups like Division Street, I don't think there's a lot of rubbernecking from from at least from our collective in terms of hey, what's Division Street doing and, and how can we emulate it? That's it, it. Really, is just a very different animal from from what we're trying to build. But there are uh, collectives out there that are more similar to ours, and certainly we look to those uh, for, for ideas, and, and, and certainly to the ones that have just decided to operate on a nonprofit basis and gotten those approval letters. We certainly look at those to see what did they do, how did they do it, how can we operate in a similar way to give ourselves the best chance of, of getting that approval. And then we do look at the overall landscape to see what people are doing that's innovative and unique that we may be able to bring uh, bring to the table. I'll give you one example recently of Alabama launching their uh, collective marketplace um, on campus or in stadium rather um, for, for, for merchandise. I think that's a fantastic idea and something that uh, we'll certainly be able to roll out at, um, at ASU if that's something we decide we want to do. Jeffrey Berg is our guest. He's the president of the Sun Devils Collective. It's called the Sun Angel Collective. i got to give you some credit because, like, you know, the university can't do this. You need a group of motivated gift givers, donors, uh, qualified individuals like yourself. Uh, I'm interested in kind of who's part of the board, but I just think it, it takes uh, some effort. It's, you know, this is a... This is a side hustle for, for college football fans and alumni who care about the university. Um, you know, as you put this group together, is your expertise in finance or in tax, or where, where does it sit? Wow. wow. Uh, my, my, so my expertise is in finance and tax. Okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> I, I also have a, a fairly strong nonprofit background as well. So uh, those certainly were helpful. The, the rest of our board, though, brings some uh, in incredible expertise. Um, it, all of our board members, the five board members that we are launching with, are um, board members of the Sun Devil Club. I mentioned earlier that that is the uh, athletic department board of directors. And uh, certainly this is very separate from that, right? There's, uh, yeah. there's, there's no intermingling there, although we, we serve in both capacities. Um, but we've got you know individuals who's the, the CFO of a large family office. We've got uh, uh, Scott Harkey, who um, is the CEO of a large marketing firm. Uh, John Dorsey uh, has worked in the sports space um, for, for a long time and has done some unique stuff around uh, some startups and whatnot. Um, Chris Michaels is a huge booster to the university. Um, her and her husband have some uh, some large endowments on campus, so great great philanthropic uh, partner of ours on the board as well. So that kind of rounds out our five and kind of the expertise there. And, and look, we'll continue to build that out. We've got some some people on our radar that we we want to get involved as well. And then we've got uh, an advisory board that we made up of um, former former student athletes. We've got Jake Plummer involved. We've got Brock Osweiler involved. Uh, Omar Bolden, Jordan Simone. So, uh, and we're going to add to that as well. Give me an idea of you know you just launched it. Uh, what kind of uh, war chest do you have so far? 
So we are launching with pre with, with pre launch commitments of a little over a million dollars, and we have been uh, very fortunate to kind of watch the ticker come in and, and, and people join uh, from yesterday to today and um, sign up for monthly subscriptions. That's really going to be um, what we need to to have in the door. And so it, it's it's nice to see those monthly subscriptions that will add to this program, uh, you know, month over month and year after year. Give me an idea. Uh, I give does... a lot of credit real yeah. quickly to our donors that uh, supported us to get to that million-dollar point pre-launch. I mean, the, the only information they had was really uh, who the board members were, what our vision was, and our wiring instructions. Right? <laughs> so there, it was, there was a lot of trust that went into that. Give me an idea because you mentioned kind of the monthly. Is it subscriptions like or a monthly pledge that uh, an alumni who's living in Texas or Oregon or California can go, hey, I want to support Arizona State sports. Hey, I can give 50 bucks a month. Is, is, that, is that sort of the model here? That's exactly the model, right? They have the choice. You you could certainly make a one-time donation, but what we would prefer and hope that people do are see value in the recurring subscription model. Um, that recurring subscription model uh, entices people to uh, potentially step up to the next level. There's a variety of, of levels in there with um, different uh, – givebacks uh, based on how much you contribute. Everything from, you know, could be a signed player gear, uh, apparel, uh, private meet and greets with certain players. So one of the things that, you know, this the collectives are able to do that's pretty unique that uh, we haven't really been able to do before is give fans the opportunity to interact with their program and interact with the athletes uh, in a way that really hasn't been able to be done before. And so that's exciting. I like that. Uh, what has the reception been? Because I think one of the strengths of Arizona State is more than 500,000 alumni, 579,000. That is a massive uh, force if you can put, point them in the right direction. But what's the response been in the last 24 hours? The response has been fantastic, both from the media and from the fans. I think a lot of us get our fan feedback from Twitter these days because it's the easiest way to interact with folks or from social media in general. Um, but, you know, between message boards that you know, every school has and, uh, and social media, it has been overwhelmingly positive. A, a lot of thank yous for getting this up and going. Um, you know, uh, how can I get involved in a more meaningful way? To your point, uh, having 579,000 alumni uh, is, an, is a huge opportunity for us. There's a very, we need to hit just a very small percentage of them to be able to build out a, a massive month-over-month -month and year-over-year -year war chest. We're talking to Jeffrey Berg. He is the president of Arizona State's NIL Collective. It's called the Sun Angel Collective. Uh, the athletes there have to be excited about it. The coaches have to be excited about it. Is is there an aim here for the uh, for the group? Are you looking to reward athletes who have been inside the program for several years? Are you looking to uh, you know solicit input from the coaching staff to see hey uh, should we be uh, you know where do we allocate the dollars? How does that work? Um, well, we got to be really careful with, um, you know, how we coordinate with, uh, with the school. And so uh, certainly we can't have conversations uh, directly with coaches about, you know, what deals should exist. Okay. Um, that said, our um, – when we bring dollars in, we're going to allocate them, not evenly, but we're going to allocate them to three different buckets. Um, bucket number one would be team-wide areas of need, right? So these are probably smaller items, but, but things that need to be taken care of for the entire team. Um, the next area is going to be um, attracting top talent, and the third area will be rewarding loyalty. 
right? There's certainly uh, uh, people on our team this year that had the option to go somewhere else to get a large NIL deal, and for whatever reason they uh, decided to stick uh, stick with Arizona State. We want to be able to reward that in some way, and to know and for future athletes to come here know that we re reward that. We're talking to Jeffrey Berg with the Sun Devil Collective, the NIL group. All right, there's a lot of us that are mildly uncomfortable or some, in some cases outright uncomfortable with all of this, but uh, I'm glad that it's not just like you know the SEC or the Big Ten that's participating in this. How important do you feel like this is to have a collective that's in place that can help kind of fuel the athletic department and reward the athletes that have been a part of it? It's incredibly important, uh, whether you like it or not. And we have, uh, you know, several people on our board that are not huge fans of it, and that includes both the athlete advisory board as, as well as as well as our board of directors. In terms of when I say not a big fan of it, right? Like we would have yeah. seen, preferred to see this develop a different way. Um, but this is the reality that we live in now. And so I think that you, if this is the way that the game is going to be played. We've got to play the game, and we've got to do it by the rules that are set out there that all of the other universities are playing by. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get, uh, you know, get a roster that's um, you know, capable of winning games. Give me an idea, uh, as you looked at other collectives, did you get any kind of insight into what the other collectives are doing as far as the size of the deals? Because when I looked at the early deals, it, most of them were modest. It was, you know, $500 to $1,200 range. It, it was not all in football where I expected it to be. What did you see as you looked around and, and studied some other collectives? So there's, there's two kind of camps that the collectives seem to fall into. There's the very large, um, small number of donor collectives, right? So that could be anywhere from, let's call it, 1 to 15 um, large boosters get together and put together some amount of money. Usually those collectives will focus on uh, revenue sports. That's typically either football or basket or men's basketball. Um, and it, a lot of them lately have been giving out really big deals. To your point, you know, when this whole first thing started, I think everything starts in baby steps, that we saw, you know, maybe small local brands coming out, right? The local car dealership lends a car to, to someone or a, uh, a pizza place gets a local student athlete to post on social media about their, about their pizza spot. Certainly the initial deals were small, but as soon as people figured out how to get this going, you, you had these two groups. So the, the, small, the small number of donors, but high dollar, right? That is that group. And then there's these broad-based collectives that have, have started to form. These broad-based collectives are a lot more work to get up, especially if you want to do some sort of a uh, nonprofit angle to them. But they probably are, at least, at least for us, we are not going to be doing huge deals right out of the gate. Um, we, there's, we have to hold back some cash as well, right? We bring right. in, let's call it $2 million this year. We're not going to spend $2 million this year. What we have seen happen on a lot of these collectives, especially the broad-based ones, the fundraising is huge in the first, let's call it, several months of ramp-up because there's a lot of excitement and press around the program. And then it, it, starts to, it starts to taper off a little bit. That's why the recurring uh, revenue uh, model is so important to this. But, you know, the, the big single-dollar donations, I, I can't count on someone perhaps to give me, if they gave me $250,000 pre-launch, 
I can't count on them to do that every year. Yeah, I think, you know, where I stand on this is people are saying, look, uh, you know, some people are uncomfortable with the collectives, but I think, you know, the more Pac-12 schools that have these collectives, the greater chance the Pac-12, aside from media rights dollars, has a chance to uh, have athletes that are doing uh, good things with endorsements and networking. And I think some of this stuff really, frankly, can turn into – uh, career after sports is they're going to be networking with other business owners and entrepreneurs that have been successful. I, I would I agree with you 100. percent They're going to have opportunities to engage with the business community in ways that they they never have before. I also think it ties the athletes to the community. At least you know I'll, I'll speak for our collective, but the the angle that we're taking to try to get this uh, nonprofit status is let's just, uh, you know, let's assume that there's a athlete who's really passionate about a local food bank or a youth services organization, Boys Club, Girls Club, and, and they'd like to do something to help them. They can go out there and lend their time, lend their marketing. You know, if they've got a large Twitter following or a large Instagram following, they can lend their uh, marketing prowess or their, their, their followers to them in, in posting things. Um, but, you know, more so maybe going out and actually helping with, with the program. We can pay them for their name, image, and likeness in, do, in doing that. Um, the nonprofit gets the benefit of having this, you know, local uh, local quarterback or local uh, offensive line going out there to, to help them up. And it gets them involved with the community that they're in as well, especially if they happen to be from out of town. Jeffrey Berg, Sun Devil Collective. All right, before I cut you loose, the pitfalls that you want to avoid, there are some out there I think ultimately this thing's going to have to be regulated. But what pitfalls do you start out with as Arizona State going, look, these are the guidelines we closely need to follow? Uh, I think we need to be really careful uh, about making sure that the school is not seen as coordinating um, with us. And that's going to be, you know, probably forefront uh, for us because it's certainly something that's, that's not allowed. However, we are allowed to have a marketing agreement with the school just like any other business would. Um, and so to the extent, you know, that some people say, hey, you know, ASU wasn't really on board with this. They're not really helping out. I, I would say that that's, that that's false. You can look at our logo. We are one of the only schools out there that is actually using um, school trademarks in our logo, right? And so we got – if they were working against us, we would not have been able to get access to those assets and those marks. And we're able to do that because we're a marketing partner with them just like any other business might be. But with that, we need to make sure that the um, – the school isn't interacting with us improperly. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Hey, I really appreciate your time, Jeffrey, and your expertise. I wish you the best. I'm glad you guys got this set up because I know at Media Day, Herm Edwards was talking about how important it was and, uh, you know, that the kids on the uh, on his roster had access to things that kids on other rosters have. And so I think it, it levels the playing field a little bit with the Pac-12 and some of the others. But thank you for giving us your time and, how can people who are listening, who are Arizona State fans, get involved? Uh, I would love them to. Uh, I would ask that you go to our website at Sun Angels, at sunangelsplural.org. Uh, there you can sign up for uh, a one-time donation. But more importantly, what we'd love you for you to do is uh, sign up for a subscription and just help us out um, to build this NIL fund going forward. Uh, we need the help of all of those 579,000 alumni that are out there and hopefully listening. Jeffrey Berg, thank you from uh, from Arizona. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Arizona State's got the Sun Angel Collective. I like it. They're going recurring subscriptions. 
uh, as part of their model. And, look, they have strength in numbers at Arizona State. I was looking hard at sort of the geography of their alumni base, 579,000 uh, Arizona State graduates uh, that are out there. And so they're really trying to tap into Arizona, of course, state of Arizona. California has 60,000 Arizona State alumni. Texas is the third largest state of ASU alumni where they reside. Texas has almost 18,000. Washington is fourth. That was interesting. Colorado, fifth. Then it goes Illinois, Florida, Oregon, eighth largest population of Arizona State alumni, New York and Virginia. There's your top ten. And so when you look at what is important to ASU's mission, and I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, Look, what's important to the mission at Arizona State is Arizona, of course, the state of Arizona, and, and capturing that market for their alumni. But California and Texas become really interesting to them. And you're already in California if you're Arizona State because you're going to play the Bay Area schools in the Pac-12, and at least for the next couple of years, you're going to play the Southern California schools. But then after that, it's Texas. Because if you are Arizona State and you want to maximize your exposure – to your alumni base. You want to get Arizona, California, Texas, Washington, Colorado, Oregon, of within those states there, those six states, you would have access to 74% of your alumni base. It is really interesting. For those who think that Arizona State would be interested in jumping to the Big 12, the bigger possibility for ASU, or if I'm Arizona State, is I would love to see SMU, Houston, somebody like that added to the Pac-12 conference so I could get into Texas and get access to another 17,000, 18,000 Arizona State uh, graduates. Strength in numbers, that's their thing. They're trying to get 579,000 Arizona State graduates to all commit $20 a month. Uh, you know, it's like a 24-hour fitness gym membership model. But if they do that, they're going to have more money than anybody in the conference to spend, including Oregon in Division Street. I want you to leave it here. So much more ahead. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. There's a whole bunch of Big 12 fans who are hopping mad right now. I, I don't think they're mad. I think they're scared. I think sometimes anxiety gets mistaken for fear. I think often it does. I think people who are anxious or nervous will often have their actions be interpreted as, oh, they're scared. Really, they're just anxious. I think the Big 12 is anxious right now because... It's lost Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. It doesn't appear that the Pac-12 is interested in merging with them. There's just no value. It doesn't make any sense. When you talk to the media experts out there that understand television households and valuations, they will tell you point blank, hey, uh, there's just not a lot there outside of the state of Texas. Even uh, the brands of the, PAC, of the Big 12 Conference, like Kansas, great basketball brand, has no football presence whatsoever. It's got, you know, geography that isn't favorable from a media market standpoint. But it's got, you know, again, basketball. But if you're a Kansas fan, you're awfully nervous right now because you've seen this conference disintegrate. 
you have seen the loss of the old Big 12 conference. Nebraska's gone and Colorado's gone and Texas A&M has gone to the SEC and there goes, uh, there goes Oklahoma and Texas and what you have left is a conference that, you know, added Louisville and added Central Florida and added BYU and, you know, it's it's reaching. And, and Pac-12 fans who are also anxious probably can relate to that a little bit, but I, uh, I don't understand, or maybe I should, the Big 12 fan who is desperate for good news getting mad at the messenger when I tell you that the Pac-12 is looking at the Big 12 and it's it's laughable. It's laughing. It's laughing at the Big 12. I talked to two athletic directors this morning, neither one of them in the state of Oregon, and came away from that conversation feeling like, hey, look, I'm reporting what I know. I'm uh, telling Pac-12 fans who subscribe at johncazano.com and want to know what's going on in the conference that, The media rights window, the exclusive 30-day negotiating window, is coming to a close. It's supposed to close sometime today or tomorrow. So in the next uh, 20 hours or so, you'll see that window close. Uh, And I do believe that unless ESPN is making a home run offer, that we are going to see um, the Pac-12 wait. I think they're going to hold the number. I don't think they're going to make it public. I think they're going to wait. And I think they're going to wait for the Big Ten to finish their options to expire, their deal to come into uh, crystal clarity, and then they will gauge the market based upon what the Big Ten conference has garnered from uh, their media partners, Fox and others. So what's left over is what the Pac-12 will have first crack at. And this is why I think the Big 12 conference is so nervous and anxious, and in some cases, a little hostile. I think they are concerned because the Pac-12 will eat first, that there won't be anything left over for the Big 12 Conference. I think they are concerned that the Pac-12 has the Pacific time zone as a tremendous advantage over the Big 12 that is playing in the same region of the country and the same time zones as some of the SEC teams and some of the Big 10 teams. There's just not a lot that the Big 12 offers uh, above and beyond the Big 10 and the SEC. So if you're in the Big 12, like, you know, you got to hope Cincinnati or Central Florida or somebody, BYU, continues to matter, but you are marginal. And you've been marginalized in the same way that the Pac-12 has been marginalized. So uh, it's interesting to me to watch this. I reported this morning, I think I wrote like 2,000 words about the NIL Collective at Arizona State, and Yogi Roth's book, and the fact that the Pac-12's negotiating window is closing now, and what I expect to happen is that we're not going to get resolution here. I think it could be as early as September before we get full resolution for the Pac-12. But there's some back-channeling that is going on right now. There are consultants involved. I believe it's in the Pac-12's best interest to go slow let the Big Ten set the market, and then give some other bidders a chance to weigh in. Don't just let ESPN bid against itself. Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, told me that he thinks the conference would be wise and want to see who's on the outside looking in after the Big Ten option ends. He said, quote, there's going to be some folks who expressed an interest in collegiate football 
who aren't going to get it in the Big Ten deal, end quote. Meanwhile, the athletic directors of the Pac-12's 10 remaining universities are still talking to each other. The, the ADs I'm talking with tell me they're upbeat. They feel like they are galvanized. And they come to this conversation with a variety of competing interests. Some of them are haves. Some of them are have-nots. Some of them have advantageous geography and large TV markets. Others do not. But the AD that I quoted in the piece today said that there is a singular threat to the Pac-12. It's the Big Ten and the Big Ten only. That is it. The Big 12 threat is, quote, laughable, unquote. Now, would the Big Ten decide to further expand and add Oregon and Washington? That's the question that Duck fans and Husky fans want to know. Would, they, uh, would the Big Ten chase Stanford, maybe? Uh, I am going to take a dive on that in the coming days at johnconzano.com. I'm talking with analysts. I'm talking with TV, former TV network executives, including Bob Thompson. And uh, the prevailing thought that uh, I, you know, that I have garnered in some of my conversations is that currently none of those candidates, Oregon, Washington, or Stanford, by themselves, generate enough potential media rights value to make it a no-brainer. We know that because the Big Ten didn't do it. Big Ten didn't want Oregon or Washington, didn't want Stanford, at least on the first pass. Now, there may be other passes. I think uh, we are talking about a landscape in college sports that is going to shift and shift and shift. But, you know, I floated the Oregon-Washington-Stanford question to a current Big Ten Conference athletic director this morning. He waved me off. He said Stanford might be interesting to the conference presidents because of the academic piece, but without Notre Dame, you're not going to take Stanford. And so Notre Dame, uh, as we have all sort of talked about, Notre Dame is a big piece of this. And I said it yesterday. I'm going to say it again. If you're Notre Dame and you have access to the college football playoff and you can get a 75 million dollar a year revenue windfall from NBC you don't need the SEC you don't need the Big Ten if the access to the playoff got cut off the that changes but as long as Notre Dame can go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 and get in the playoff Notre Dame doesn't need the Big Ten and if Notre Dame doesn't need the Big Ten and I'm the Big Ten I'm having a hard time justifying taking Oregon, taking Washington, or taking Stanford, or taking any combination of them, because their media rights valuations, the potential media rights they bring, just doesn't pencil out. And you're not going to subsidize the Oregon Ducks if you're the Big Ten. You're not going to subsidize Washington. You're not going to subsidize Stanford. So I think right now we're going to see things quiet down a little bit, despite what Kevin Warren said, despite what the Big 12 conference commissioner is saying despite all the hand wringing in Arizona and Colorado and Utah and across the big 12 footprint I don't think any of the Pac-12 schools are going to jump to the big 12 I don't think it makes sense I don't think that pencils out either I I think if the Pac-12 does expand it's going to start with San, San Diego State and somebody else it has to be a twosome at this point but I'm having a hard time right now thinking that the Pac-12 has to add somebody in order to survive. Again, it's going to come down to the same calculus that the Big Ten and the SEC are doing. Can 
you justify enough money to take them, take those parties. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.